Cyberland. So, uh, yeah, let's go to Luke chapter 13 uh, this morning as we share in uh, a message for mothers. And I've titled this message, You Are a Great Mom. Uh, you may not believe that. You may not think that about yourself. But I want to tell you, you are a great mom. Now, there's a TV show um, I have watched a few times. Um, it's called The Voice. And The Voice is a singing competition. I know there are a lot of singing competitions on television uh, in our day and time. But in this particular um, competition, it's a bit unique in that. As the season begins in The Voice, uh, you'll have four judges who are sitting in high back chairs. They're, the back of the chair is facing the contestant. The contestant comes out onto the stage, and they begin to sing. And so the judge has no idea who this person is. Obviously, they can tell by the voice whether it's male or female, but they cannot judge this person on the basis of their looks, on the basis of what they might think is markability uh, concerning uh, this person's persona. They are judging them purely on the basis of their voice. And, of course, for the contestant, as they are singing, their desire is that somebody, one of those judges, if not more than one, hits the red button because the moment they hit that red button, the chair turns around, there's a neon light going off on the bottom of the chair, and in essence, what that judge is saying to that contestant is, I want you. I want you to be a part of my team, and I'm going to um, coach you throughout the course of this season and help you become better at what it is that you're doing. These are people who are at the top of their, their game when it comes uh, to the musical world that is out there. And so the quality of the voice is enough to get one of the top music, musical talents in the world to become that person's personal coach. This is how many of us live our lives. We have appointed judges who sit in the chairs that we have furnished in our minds. And we are like the contestants on the blind audition waiting for someone to push their button and to turn that chair around. And auditioning our hearts out, we are looking for acceptance. We are looking for approval. Uh, we, are, we are hoping that the judges that we have set up in our minds, uh, which varies from person to person, will turn that chair around because our driving motivation is this. We are trying to escape our self-inflicted prison of insecurity. And if this person will just turn their chair around and show me a sign of acceptance, a sign of approval, then somehow, someway, that will enable me to overcome this thought of feeling, perception of insecurity in my life. Now, for some of you, the person sitting on that judge's seat is your parents. For some of you, you've been all of your life trying to earn their acceptance, their approval, accusations they made or affirmations they withheld, can keep you in this perpetual state of insecurity. It's what I didn't get from my parents. It's what I didn't get from my mother or my father. And so they're the, they're the virtual judge in my mind that I am, I am striving to um, perform for so that they will turn that around and give me the acceptance, the approval, the sense of security that I long for all of my life. Now, for some of you, it might be a friend. It might be somebody you went to school with or somebody you work with that occupies another chair. And if that person would just include you, compliment you, notice you, invite you, 
make, enable you to become a part of their group. They're, they're, um, you know, you're you're going to be in with them. And what is sad about all of this is that really none of these people that we virtually set up in our minds and we set them as judges over our lives, thinking that they can alleviate us from this sense of personal insecurity, not a single one of those judges has a button to push. There's only one person who really has a button to push, and it's really the only judge sitting in the chair that you really want to turn around, and that is God himself. Your heavenly Father, whether you realize it or not, has already turned his chair around for you. God is for you. He is not against you. And God handpicked you before you were ever born. The Bible says that he knit you together in your mother's womb. That your children as a mother were knit together by the hand of God in your womb. And God chose you to be a part of his family through his son, Jesus Christ. And before you were ever born, God knew you and issued the announcement from his throne in heaven that he wants you. And he wants you to know that the audition has already been canceled. You do not have to perform your way into God's presence. You don't perform your way into God's approval. God chose you, not blindly, but intentionally, even knowing you inwardly and outwardly, all the good, bad, and the ugly, and everything else in between. If this God has chosen you while, you while totally knowing even the worst parts of you, then you no longer have to live up to anything. Instead, you are now empowered to live out this awesome divine acceptance that God has spoken over you. Because God wants you to know that he wants relationship, he longs for relationship, he desires relationship with you, not on the basis of your performance, but on the basis of his divine acceptance, which is the antidote to insecurity that robs you of your joy in life. See, many of you have never been happy in life or joyful in life because you're constantly working towards acceptance, approval by this person who is sitting in judgment over you inside your mind. You need to stop living for the approval of others and live for the audience of one. We all know all too well the stuff in our lives that should disqualify us really from God's acceptance and approval over us, longing to be with us and desiring to have a relationship with us because we all know, we all know that sometimes um, we're disorganized. Sometimes we're easily irritable. Sometimes we're easily distracted. We understand, we know all of the flaws that are contained within us, both in action as well as in motive and the thoughts that roll around in our minds that we just know if somebody else knew this and saw this and knew what was happening in my mind, I would be so embarrassed. I would be, I would, you know, I wouldn't want to hide under a rock. Yet God knows all of those things and yet he still turned his chair around. So I want to tie this to mothers. Mom, who is sitting in your chair? Most mothers I know have little to no security when it comes to their role as a mother. You're constantly needing your children maybe to brag on you, lift you up, give you gifts, declare you as the mother of the year in order to have any sense of self-worth. For some of you, especially daughters, seem to have a tumultuous relationship, mother-daughter relationship 
during certain years of growing up. I, I grew up with four sisters. Uh, you know, I saw this dynamic. I have two daughters, uh, this u- unique dynamic that happens between mothers and daughters. And so some of you are, as a mother, um, you're trying to prove yourself as a mother. You're trying to prove that you're worthwhile, that you are a wonderful mother, and you're, you're still um, trying to earn the approval of your own mother because the only thing that keeps ringing in your ears are the condemning words that you're not good enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not smart enough, you're not doing it right, you should do this and that and the other and, and do it this way and my way, and there's just that, that sense of failure that leads to depression, that leads to... Um, just a lot of negative emotions. And so your mother's sitting in your judge's chair and you're longing for her to turn it around. But what if she's not here any longer? What if she's already died and she's already moved into eternity and there's no button to push anymore? And yet all of those memories and those thoughts and those words just keep rolling around on the tape recorder in your mind. And as a result of working all of your life trying to get your self-imposed judge to turn around, you, you now experience depression, addiction, negative behavior, lifelong anxiety, problematic relationships, maybe even with your own adult children. Listen, Mom, God has already chosen you, faults and all, faults and all. There is no such thing as a perfect parent, and there is no such thing as a perfect child. We are imperfect human beings, and we sometimes feel powerless to move on. And in your effort to change or to get this judge in your mind to turn around, it feels like you are stuck, that you cannot move on in life, you you can't progress, and every time you think you're making progress in growth and beyond those things, and then you find yourself just kind of moving back into it again, and it's a vicious cycle in your life, and maybe you go to church, maybe you don't go to church, maybe you've seen a counselor, maybe you've never seen a counselor, but you still don't see the results that you desire. You want to grow, you want to move forward. You want to be all that God created you to be as a mother, as a wife, as a friend, as a sister, a brother, whatever it is. You're not a brother, but you're a brother to you. I mean, this relationship. But you just feel stuck. How do you get unstuck? Well, Jesus gives us a parable, I think, that helps um, in moving forward in growing out of this self-imposed infliction that you've put upon yourself because you're longing for that judge, whoever it is, whoever they might be, to turn their chair around, and you feel like you can't move forward until that happens, and that is a lie of the enemy. So Jesus gives us a parable in Luke chapter 13 and verse 6 through 9, and he says this. He told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who looked who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look at this tree to find fruit on it, this fig tree, and haven't found any. Now notice what he says. I want you to cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I will dig around it and fertilize it, and if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Now notice this tree is planted in a vineyard. It's not like off on its own on the side of a road. 
But obviously for years, it's not producing any fruit. And so the owner of this vineyard did what most of us do when we feel like we're not producing any fruit in our life or we're not seeing positive results when we try to move forward only to be pushed back, whether it be in our minds or in our lives, maybe you're pushing forward in a career or whatever it might be, here's how we tend to respond to a non-producing life or a, what we consider a failure, and that is we judge ourselves. So this owner is making a judgment on this tree. A, it's not producing any fruit, therefore, must be worthless, cut it down, get rid of it. We love to judge ourselves, don't we? In fact, moms, uh, sometimes you judge yourself very harshly. I am a horrible mother because I wish I was more like more and more like so and so. She's a great mother, or I fail at everything I try. And so there is this um, sense in which you're constantly putting yourself down, never feeling like you measure up. You're always sensing that, you know, you could be a little better and you could move forward and push forward and, and be mother of the year and, and everyone would give you accolades, but you realize that that's not going to happen for you. And so we tend to judge ourselves. And whenever we become judgmental towards ourselves, what comes on the heels of that sense of judgment are, is anger. We're just kind of angry with ourselves. We, we get frustrated with ourselves because we feel like we're not... We're not growing, we're not moving forward, and maybe now that your children, you know, that when they were younger, it wasn't so evident, but now they move into teenage years, and, and you know, they kind of lost their minds, and now the relationship is tumultuous, it's, it's strenuous, because there's a lot of bickering going back and forth, and now you even feel worse about yourself as a mother, and so this, this anger about, at yourself for not being a better mother, and it follows with two other emotions specifically guilt and shame. So what you have done is you have set up what I call the self-loathing trinity of anger, guilt, and shame, and this is the basis upon which many, many mothers operate. And one of the reasons I know that is this. Um, I've asked mothers um, before, I say, hey, tell me, because I want to try to understand, uh, tell me, what are all the things that you felt like you did well in your children's lives? And so most mothers are going to think a minute, and now I'm asking this particularly to mothers whose children are already grown, and what a mother has the tendency to do is to build her self-worth upon how her children turn out, and so she'll think about them, and she may give me a few things. Well, these are things I feel like were positive things, things I did well, things I did right, but then if I turn the table and say, hey, tell me about the things you felt like you did wrong, the mistakes, the things you would do over again, uh, if you had to do all over again, this is what I'd do differently. And oftentimes, they can go on for a long, long period of time. Because we tend to focus on the things we feel like we did wrong uh, that were the negative things in life, because as human beings, we tend to gravitate towards the negative anyways, rather than the positive things and the positive impact we had in the lives of our children, and we base that largely on how we feel like our children turned out. Now, if I were to gather up your kids and ask them the very same question, hey, what do you think your mom did right? What do you think she did well? What do you think she did wrong? What do you think is something that she could have done differently, uh, done better? And I can almost assure you that their list will not match up with yours. 
Now, I did this as a father with my own children. I said, okay, you guys, uh, hey, tell me, what, what are the things you feel like I did right? What are the things that were positive? What are the things that were negative? And the, the list that I had in my mind wasn't even close to what it is that they had in her, their minds. Anger, guilt, and shame do not produce results. They simply keep you stuck. I want to help you get unstuck. I want you to see yourself from a different perspective. I want you to begin viewing your life as a mother through the lens of God himself. God understands all of your faults. He already understands all your flaws. He already is keenly aware of all your failures. But God wants to help you move forward. And really, the one response that actually produces change in our lives is not the response that we would ever think about. The response that really moves us forward for change in our lives is what the Bible calls godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Now, repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of action. And this sorrow means instead of feeling sorry or angry or guilty or shameful over yourself, it means that, yes, you may feel some sadness, some sorrow over the fact that, yes, I did some things wrong. I didn't do things, everything quite right, quite well enough. In sorrow, you develop the sense that you need to do something about what it is that's holding you back from moving forward. What is it that you need in your life that will virtually kind of like in your mind turn that chair around of those that you feel like are sitting in judgment over you. And this is where Jesus, our advocate, kind of moves into the realm of our lives. And so if I were to ask you, what do you think Jesus would say to you as a mother and you feel stuck? You don't feel like you quite measure up. You don't feel like you quite done a good enough job or doing a good enough job. And you just feel like, you know, you're just spinning your wheels. What do you think Jesus would say to you? Most of us would think, I'm, I'm speculating, well, what you need to do is uh, you need to pray more and pray harder, read God's word more, read God's word hard, you know, longer, memorize more scripture, go to church more, uh, fast more. And we, we would have this whole list of things we feel like Jesus would say to us, if you just do this list, then um, your life would absolutely get unstuck and move forward. And it would be so, so much better. And basically what you have done now is you've put the burden of responsibility right back on your shoulders. And in doing so, um, you're going to move yourself right back into that cycle of anger, shame, and guilt. Because you, can't, you know you can't measure up to all of that. There's not a one of us who feels like we pray enough or that we read God's word enough or that we serve enough or that we go to church enough or that we do this or that or the other that we think Jesus would want us to do. I'm not saying those things are bad in and of themselves, but here's what I know about Jesus. He didn't give us any instructions on how to judge ourselves better. And that's what you're doing. You're just judging yourself. Well, if I just did this better, if I did that better, if I did this better. And so what he would say to us, stop passing judgment on yourself. That's not going to get you unstuck. It's going to keep you isolated into that um, self-imposed cycle of anger and guilt and shame. Let me give you an example. My mother, um, growing up, you know, raised five children, so I have four sisters, and um, she was a single parent, 
we, we were poor, right? We were just poor. That's, that's all. Um, we didn't have much. And so every year when Christmas would roll around, uh, my mom was, just was not able to, to provide that much for Christmas. And, uh, but really at the time, we as, a, as kids, we didn't really realize it because everybody else around us was actually in the same boat, right? We were all poor. We didn't get a lot for Christmas. But I never knew this until later on in life and um, really way later on in life as I was an adult that my, my mother felt incredibly guilty about that. She felt a sense of shame and guilt and uh, just carried that around with her all of her life, that she was not able to give to us as kids what other kids around us may have been receiving uh, from their, their families. So what my mom did in order to compensate for that, to kind of help get her unstuck from that sense of sh- shame and guilt... That's that when grandkids came along, she absolutely lavished them with gifts at Christmas. Absolutely was her favorite holiday. And when we bring our kids over, I mean, you'd literally have to clear out the room because by the time she got all of their stuff in the room, which her, her living room wasn't that big anyways, I mean, that thing would be filled up. And I would say, Mom, why do you do this? Why are you giving these kids so much stuff for Christmas? And she would say, oh, be quiet, leave me alone. I love doing this, right? So that was her standard answer, just leave me alone. I love doing this. And so it wasn't until after my mother actually died and, and um, that in talking to my sisters that they uncovered the, the reason behind it is because all of those years, we as kids growing up, she felt so guilty that she couldn't provide us with the things that she felt like she wanted to provide us for. And so she just kind of lavished her grandchildren in order to take, take its place. And so my mother was stuck, and she couldn't get unstuck, and so she thought the way that she would deal with her stuckness was that she would just lavish the stuff on our kids. Now, don't get me wrong. Our kids loved it, right? Yeah, come on, Grandma. Bring it on. Bring it on. We love this. We love this. Jesus said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when Jesus walks into a room, God walks into the room with him. So moms, here's what I want you to see, um, and we're going to look at three points here. The body of Christ, God established the body of Christ for a reason, what we call the church, right? The body of Christ is interconnected. God says, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. The head can't say to the heart, I don't need you. We are all interconnected together. And so if you had an infected finger, you wouldn't cut it off and put it in a drawer and put a book of anatomy beside it and say, heal yourself. No, God has designed the body so that from the head, it can experience healing, right? So the brain is a very powerful mechanism that can release all kinds of... um, endorphins and all kinds of antibodies, and, and we might get help from, you know, taking a shot of an antibiotic shot, and, but, but the head just kind of radiates down and, and helps the body to bring healing. And so this is how Jesus has designed the church, is that from the head down, from Jesus down, that we are to be a body of healing, to experience healing when we are stuck to experience healing when we feel like a failure, to experience healing when we're deep in depression, 
because I don't think like I, I don't think I measure up, or to experience healing when I've had a traumatic past that I've brought into the present that's now affecting the way that I parent, to bring healing into the body of Christ. My point is this, moms, when you come to church, to the body of Christ, we want you to know that we're going to say, hey, uh, we are so, so glad that you are here. We just want you to know we all struggle. We all struggle, and there's no condemnation here. A healthy body knows it doesn't cut down the fig tree, right? The healthy body knows that it learns how to accept it and to help it improve through a process, and that's what God wants to do in our lives. So, what's the process? What's the threefold ingredient that God uses to help you move forward where you're stuck? Well, the vineyard grower gives us all three. What did he say to the owner of the vineyard? Hey, give me a year, give me some time, I'm going to dig around the tree, I'm going to dig around the vine, and I'm going to fertilize it. And if it hasn't grown anything in a year, we'll cut it down. So what are the ingredients? Well, the first one is this. He says, I'm going to dig around it, right? And so here is what you need to do. You have to dig up the truth, right? You got to dig up the truth. If something goes wrong with your car, what do you do? You take it to a mechanic. They throw open the hood. They attach some big computer to it. And so that computer is going to analyze your engine. It's going to analyze the mechanical parts of your car in order to say, hey, this is what's wrong with your engine. Or maybe it's an, a wiring issue, whatever it might be. It gives them feedback as to what is wrong. And so what are they looking for? They're looking for the truth as to why your car is not functioning properly. And here's the other thing I know about mechanics is that mechanics know what they're looking for. So the truth is a standard that we are supposed to reach, but it also enables us to see where we are in relation to that standard. For example, let's say you say, well, as a mother, I just find myself getting so impatient, and I just like fly off the handle, and, and I know it's not right, and I, I just, you know, now the next thing I know, I'm screaming and throwing things, and, and, and I don't want to be that way. And so the truth is you want patience, and so that's the standard, which is a fruit of the Spirit, so we know what the standard is. So where are you in relation to that standard? And you may say, well, you know what? I'm like way down here. I mean, I, I'm not even close to getting there. I, I, I've tried everything I can to, to be more patient, uh, to be more kind, to be more understanding, so I don't fly off the handle. But man, the, 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 over time, they, my kids just get on my nerves, and I just let it go. All right, so how do you want to dig up the truth? What is really going on behind that impatience? You know, if you enter into a 12-step program, the 12th step is always go find somebody else that you can help. And this is a biblical model that God gave us in 2 Corinthians 1.4. He says, how about comforting others with the comfort that you have received from God through the lives of others? Listen, when you are hurting, we want to talk to someone that brings some experience and some truth into the situation. So moms, here's what I'd say. If you feel stuck and like you're dealing with these emotions 
and you don't feel like you're parenting well, you don't feel like you're measuring up, what you need to do is you need to attach yourself to someone who has walked that pathway in their life already that you, they can help you dig up the truth behind what it is that you're struggling with. Because until I know the truth and face reality, I can never experience healing in my life. For example, let's say um, somebody says, I want to lose 100 pounds. You know? And so all you do is you step on the scale, you get discouraged, you get off the scale, and you come back and do it a week later. You step back on the scale, and now you, you've gained weight. Now you're discouraged again. You step off the scale. Now you wait a month to come back. You step on the scale. Nothing's changed. You get discouraged, and you do it all over again. You know what we call that New Year's resolutions. Right? Nothing's changing. I'm just getting more and more discouraged because I'm not really facing the reality or the truth behind the situation. So someone has said the best way to gain weight is to go on a diet. So what would you need to start this process of dieting? you got to dig up the truth. Why do I eat unhealthy? Why do I binge eat? Why, why do I eat for comfort? What woundedness is inside of me that causes me to turn to food in order to comfort to soothe myself? See, until you dig up that truth behind the action or your behavior, nothing is ever going to change. You're just going to remain stuck. So in attaching somebody to you, you look for someone who's been a mother, who's been through all the stages. And you may say something like, you know what? I'm so frustrated as a mother, especially mothers that you, you know, you're early into this stage, this process of mothering, and you say, you know, I want to be a better mother. I'm trying to be a better mother, but there's you know, issues that's going on here. And you, you, you ask somebody who's, who's older. This is the way the Bible set it up, that the older women are to help instruct and train the younger women. So you find somebody who is where you want to be or, you know, has been through some of the things that you've been, you're going through, and they're, they're on the other side, and say, hey, could we meet together? Can we just talk so that I can begin to deal with the, these, the, this underlying cause or reason why I can't seem to move forward as a mother? And so, so that I can begin to see, well, you know, what are the triggers that are causing me to lash out in harshness? And, you know, why am I medicating myself? Because I feel like a, a, a lousy mother. And so you're just looking for somebody to listen, to help guide, to help ask questions to take you through this process of healing. That's what it means to dig up the truth. You're digging around the tree. You're digging around the vine. So here's the second one. He says, I'm going to, the grower says, I'm going to apply fertilizer. And in the context of our lives, fertilizer is grace. Grace does not equal God accepts me just like I am. That's a manifestation of grace. Grace is two words. It's unmerited favor. Unmerited means I don't drink, bring anything to the party. I am broken. All right, I'm beyond repair. I can't fix myself. And so when you fertilize a plant, you are giving that plant something outside of itself that it cannot produce on its own in order to enable it to grow. And so we can't self-help ourselves into growth, not sustaining growth. We all have to draw from something outside of ourselves. And so in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your brokenness, 
in the midst of your brokenheartedness, I mean, we try to heal ourselves, and, but we need something beyond that. We need something that's going to, to fertilize us, something that's going to um, apply God's grace to our lives because we're already self-condemning and we're already judgmental over ourselves and maybe the haunting voices that are going on inside of your mind are also voices of condemnation, voices of judgment, whatever that might be or whoever it might be that is speaking over you. And so you need something outside of yourself to, to fertilize you with God's grace. Now, certainly the word of God can do that is that because God gives us support and correction and teaching and, and all of those things. But I'm simply saying is that you probably need someone outside of yourself to help keep you immersed in God's grace while you're trying to figure this out, while you're trying to move forward. I remember growing up, well, I don't remember, I don't remember a lot about growing up as a child, but one of the things I discovered as an adult are the things that I did as a child. Um, remember, I'm the only boy in the family, and at that time, uh, we were living on... Mahalam Street in Newark, Ohio, when I was really young. And so back in those days, you know, nobody locked their doors. I was probably, I don't know, two years old, maybe a little bit older, still in diapers. And, um, yeah, I escaped out of the house. And I escaped out of the house uh, with a dirty diaper. Uh, you can imagine what that's like. And so uh, I get outside. I pull off my, my diaper, so I'm the original streaker. And I take, you know, I have this like brown mud in my diaper, so I decide that it must be like, I don't know, let's wax a car with it. So I waxed my neighbor's car with my dirty diaper. Here's a two-year-old out there, butt naked, waxing his neighbor's car with his dirty diaper. And of course, my mom soon discovers I'm missing and, you know, bursting out the door because I'm not in the house, and there I am in all my glory. And so the reason I know about these things is not because I remember doing them. It's because my grandmother used to write letters to my aunt and uncle who lived in California at the time, and she would tell all the stories about what Greg did this week. And my aunt, um, uh, in her later years, gave me those letters to read uh, because uh, I was so much a part of what was written. <laughs> Listen, there's no parenting book on that. Uh, did my mother feel like a failure? I mean, did she feel embarrassed about having to go to the neighbor and say, um, this is what my son has done. Don't worry about it. I'll clean it up. I mean, obviously, right? So grace is needed in all of our lives. And here's the third piece or ingredient is you, you have to give yourself time. He says, I'm going to give this a year, all right? I'm digging around it. All right, you got to dig up the truth if you want to move forward and, and experience God's healing and moving forward in your life. You got to be fertilized with grace. People around you have, have got to be you know, grace filled who are helping you because more than likely you're going to take three steps forward and two back in and, and this process of parenting. And because I don't know about your kids, but my kids did not come with a manual on how to parent and all those things. And, and a lot of it was by trial and error, or we tried to read something. You know, have you ever tried to read a book and, you, and the author promises you, man, if you just do these five things, follow these five steps, everything's going to turn out well with your children, and they don't, right? I mean, think about God himself, um, is that God, the perfect heavenly father, had a third of his created angelic beings rebel against him. He had Adam and Eve who were put in a perfect environment, and God with them every day rebelled against them, and we as God's creation, uh, we are in rebellion against God all the time. 
There is no like formula that says this will guarantee that your children turn out the way you want them to turn out. Growing is something isn't attending one meeting, it's not attending one retreat, it's not applying one principle, but it is it is we go out, we try it, we do well, we may not do well, we come back, maybe defeated, we talk about it, and we learn from it, and we go out, and we move forward again. That's called the process of growth. This is exactly what Jesus did with his disciples. Hey, guys, watch me, look at me. You're learning from me. Now go out and do it. They'd go out and do it. They'd fail. They'd come back. What did we do wrong? Let's talk about it. They'd talk about it. And then he would send them back out again, and they'd fail in another area. They'd come back. Let's talk about it. And this was the cycle of growth that Jesus used with his own disciples. Here's what I'm saying to you, moms. If you want to move forward, if you want to get unstuck, is that you, you need to get under the hood, find the truth. What is it that's really moving and motivating you? Attach yourself to someone in the body of Christ, a woman who's been there, done that, so she can help guide you through this, ask the hard questions, supply you with the grace that you're going to need in your times of frustration, in your times of failure, and you've got to give it time. Nobody changes overnight. It is a process of growth. It is lifelong. And by the time you think you've got a handle on things, guess what? Your kids have grown up and left the house. Hallelujah. Right? <laughs> so what God wants to do is now to use you with a younger mother to help them through the process that he just took you through. God believes in your ability. We judge ourselves because of our inability. But he embraced the idea of your ability so deeply that he called you to be a mom. And I want you to know, he's more proud of you than probably you'll ever be of yourself. So let me close with this. Example out of the page of my own life with my own mother. My mother was one of the most self-sacrificing women I ever knew. And one of the reasons I say that is because, again, she raised five children. We lived in a very small house. The house had three bedrooms, but the bedrooms you know, weren't very large. Because I had four sisters, I had a bedroom all to myself, which was really kind of like an oversized closet. Um, and then my sisters had the other two bedrooms. For my entire 19 years at home, my mother slept on a couch. And the reason she slept on the couch is because she was willing to sacrifice for the sake of her children so that they would have a bed, even though she had none. When my wife and I were dating before we got married, uh, Marla asked my mom, why do you sleep on the couch? What do you suppose my mother said? Well, I sleep on the couch because I'm sacrificing for the fact my children need a bed and I don't have room for one in the bedroom. No. Here's what she said. Well, uh, I have back issues. It helps me with my back. Nothing could have been further from the truth. If anything, the couch contributed to her back problems, uh, issues that started due to an accident that she had at work that left her with a ruptured disc in her back that resulted over her lifetime in five back surgeries. And so as my, my mother raised us as best she could, and she did have some help from you know, extended family. She, she came from a large family. My grandparents were involved and her sisters, and we had a lot of cousins, and, and you know, we get together a lot as a family. And uh, when I was um, 18 years old, my sister was 20 years old, my sister was killed in a car accident. 
And I'll never forget that day. My uncle called me up and said, hey, we need you to come over to the house. And this is an uncle that normally would not call me and ask me to come to, to his house. And so I thought something was up. And sure enough, as I pull up in front of the house, he's meeting me out on the front lawn. I thought this was very strange. And then he broke the news to me that my sister had been killed in a car accident. And so I witnessed the greatest horror that my mother would have to undertake as a parent, and that is burying your own child. And while in her 60s, my mom had a massive heart attack that resulted in a quadruple bypass and a valve replacement, which meant that she had to be put on Coumadin. Coumadin is a blood thinner in order for her to survive. And so she struggled with severe pain in her back that radiated down her legs so profusely all her entire life that sometimes she would be in the bathtub and, and could not even get up out of it. And so I watched my mom live with constant, ongoing pain her entire life. At age 72, she had her fifth back surgery, and as a result, they had to take her off her Coumadin several days prior to the surgery, leave her off several days after the surgery. Well, they left her off a little bit too long, and she clotted and had a massive stroke. That stroke resulted in the complete paralyzation of her left side, no use of anything. She could not swallow, she could not speak, she could not communicate. And I'll never forget, that was always my mom's greatest fear, was to have a stroke. And she's laying in the hospital bed, and of course she's quite sedated for a long period of time. And once they kind of bring her out of sedation, uh, my sisters and I and my stepdad were in there, and I had to sit with my mother and look her eye to eye, and at that time, she was at least coherent about what was going on around her, but she didn't really understand why she couldn't move, why she couldn't speak. And I had to look her eye to eye and break the news that, Mom, you've had a massive stroke, and I will never forget the look on her face as long as I live. She was devastated, as you might imagine. Her rehabilitation was very painful. It was very slow. And she wasn't a great patient. One time I snuck in while they were doing rehab with her in the nursing home. And um, she, let's just say she wasn't treating that physical therapist very kindly. And then I walk around the corner. I said, Mom, what are you doing? And all of a sudden she gets this look on her face like, oh, I've been, I've been caught. I've been had. Now, what I really wanted to do is what she would do to me as a child and just take me out and spank me really good and then bring me back and, no. Uh, it was absolutely heartbreaking to watch. Four months into this, my mom ended up back home after three months in a nursing home. Um, and when she realized that she was not going to get any better, she kind of gave up on life. And so my wife and I and our daughters and, and one of their cousins, we were all heading um, to Myrtle Beach on Sunday, that Saturday, we stopped by and visited with my mother, and I'll never forget that night when, when I left, my mother hugged me, but it was in a way that was different than normal, much different. Not putting two and two together, not knowing what might possibly happen, we load up on Sunday morning, we're heading towards North Carolina, or South Carolina, and uh, we've not even gotten beyond uh, Zanesville, and I get the call that my mother had a massive heart attack and died. So my response is, did I mourn? Did I grieve her loss? You better believe I did. There's not a day goes by that I do not think about her. 
But I also rejoiced and I gave thanks to my heavenly Father in a time of my deepest pain. Why? Because when my mom was 65 years of age, God had turned his chair around and issued a call to her to come to faith in his son, Jesus Christ. It was on a Mother's Day 15 years ago that she walked down this very aisle and received Jesus into her life. I had the opportunity to lead my mother to Christ and to baptize her and to see her come and attend and seek to grow in the little bit of time that she had left in life. And I know that the day that my mother drew her last breath, that the angels of God were dispatched into her presence and carried her into the presence of God, her heavenly father, where she will one day receive her new heavenly body. And the reason I rejoice is because I would never wish upon her to live one more day on earth in the condition she was in when she could be in the presence of Jesus. Amen. Can I tell you that five minutes in the presence of Christ, all of the regrets, all of the sense of failure that she may have had with her children or even grandchildren, Whatever she believed they were, they melted away at that moment. Melted away. Not even important. I, as her son, never once gave it a thought. All I cared about is the fact that my mom was in the arms of Jesus. And that's my heart's desire for every single one of you that are listening, that are hearing my voice. Please, please, please. Stop beating yourself up as a mother. There's no perfect mother. There's no perfect children. That's not even the issue. God's not looking for perfection out of you. He wants you to help make, he wants you to make progress, right? Face the truth. Immerse yourself in God's grace. Find somebody you can attach yourself to that will help you through that process and give it time. Because when you get to the end of that process, God will then in use, use you to help bring comfort to those who are behind you that you might help them through the same exact process. Because I can assure you, when you leave this earth, you, five minutes in Jesus' presence, whatever you felt like you did wrong, whatever you felt like you were a failure, whatever judge you had set up in your mind that you felt like you had to please in order to gain acceptance and approval,